Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So today is our first class of this year's structured study of uh, one of my books, The Truth of Happiness, which is a companion book to uh, the larger volume, Becoming, larger volume, Becoming Buddha. Um, and I assume that you've all done your homework, which is reading the, uh, the corresponding uh, week's chapter, uh, writing a paragraph or two about what you learned. And as, we, as the course progresses, how that week's lesson relates to what we've previously covered, and then any questions you might have uh, about the Dhamma. Um, and so uh, I'm not going to, and us teachers are not going to read the entire chapter, that's your work, but I am going to read some of it uh, and summarize it. But really this course is designed um, for a Sangha discussion and for your input. I'm going to read a little bit from the introduction. As a practice, what is learned in this course is to be practiced. There is nothing in the Four Noble Truths or the Eightfold Path that has any magical qualities of bringing instant understanding. The meditation practice in this course is most effective when developed within the framework of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path provides the perspective, structure, and direction necessary for lasting peace and happiness to be experienced. A basic concept of this course and Shamatha Vipassana meditation is mindfulness. So um, a, a few years ago, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, I changed the reference to the meditation method that we practiced from Shamatha Vipassana to jhana to more clearly reflect uh, how the Buddha presented meditation. I don't think the Buddha ever used the term uh, Shamatha Vipassana meditation. That's something that developed over the years, and something that I kind of uh, latched onto. Uh, shamatha means to quiet the mind, vipassana means insight, and so we use meditation to quiet the mind, but it really is a larger practice that we gain insight, and it's very specific insight into the three marks of existence that we're going to touch later on. <coughs> so, and jhana means concentration, which is the purpose of meditation within the Buddhist Dhamma, to deepen concentration so that from that ever-deepening level of concentration, we're able to hold in mind the rest of the Eightfold Path. And so that broader application of concentration is mindfulness. The Buddha didn't teach something called uh, mindfulness of the breath meditation or even mindfulness meditation. That's just a, a mischaracterization of what we're doing. He taught jhana meditation to support that broader framework, uh, but very specific framework of refined mindfulness. A basic concept of this course and of, of this course in Shamatha meditation is mindfulness. Mindfulness means to recollect and to hold in mind. So we can use that application of mindfulness for everything, and most of the time we use mindfulness to our detriment. Uh, an extreme but useful example is the uh, I'm a recovered alcoholic and drug addict. An aspect of mindfulness, a true aspect of mindfulness, is, is holding in mind where my next drink or drug was coming to for many years. And that type of an application of mindfulness nearly killed me a few times, literally. And, we, and I'm using an extreme example, but it's also an aspect of mindfulness to think about the argument I'm going to have with you tomorrow. 
that's holding in mind something that is not skillful. So just to say I'm practicing mindfulness is not practicing the Dhamma. It's a very specific application of mindfulness that incorporates the entire Eightfold Path. By developing an understanding of the causes of stress and unhappiness, we can then be mindful or to recollect and hold in mind the practice leading to lasting happiness. The four foundations of mindfulness is presented in the second week next week uh, that Matt will be teaching. Um, The problem of stress and unhappiness is that stress creates a constant distraction in our minds. The Buddha could, or I could almost have nearly say, or the Buddha could have said, almost as accurately saying the first noble truth is distraction as saying the first noble truth is dukkha or stress because it is the preoccupation with stress or with dukkha that we literally lose our minds. Our minds um, are not present. They're either stuck in the past or in the future. Even if it's in the next moment, we're not living in this present moment. And that's where concentration comes in. As human beings, we become preoccupied with grasping after that which brings pleasure, and we also become preoccupied with avoiding that which is unpleasant or disappointing. With some, preoccupation rises to the level of compulsion or addiction. By developing a tranquil mind, allowing for insight to arise, our minds become more focused and less distracted. A deep and abiding mindfulness of the present moment is developed. And that you hear me reference often that the Dhamma can only be practiced in this present moment in our life as our life occurs. And again, the reason for jhana meditation is so that we can bring our minds. We have a, a technique, a method, to instantly bring our minds into our bodies and into the present moment. And that's by simply being mindful of the breath in the body. Because when we're mindful of the breath in the body, we have actually united our mind in our body. And as our concentration deepens, we're able to incorporate these other factors of the Eightfold Path. When Dhamma practice, with Dhamma practice, lasting peace and happiness is realized. We will begin in week one with learning the basic practice of Shamatha Vipassana or Jhana meditation. Uh, so I'm going to skip ahead uh, to the next, uh, to the week one chapter. Um, and again, I'm starting uh, somewhat in the middle of that chapter that you all read. Sukha is a Pali word meaning lasting happiness and human flourishing. It really literally translates into, in, into human flourishing. Sukha is the counter to dukkha. It is the intention of this course to show you how to develop lasting happiness and to flourish in your life. Uh, the most debilitating effect of... We had a, a teacher's meeting with our uh, cross-pond teachers this morning. And this, this idea of achievement came up. Um, and so we need to create a, a clear distinction, and we will through this course, that what we're achieving in life is not necessarily related to the Dhamma. In other words, we shouldn't be practicing Dhamma practitioners. We shouldn't be Dhamma practitioners so that I can be better at my job or have better relationships or better anything. We practice Dhamma, we have Dhamma practice. As Dhamma practitioners, we're developing this to understand what it means to be a human being. And from that understanding, we will simply perform better in those areas of our life that we choose to perform better. But we will no longer be uh, compulsively driven by the need to constantly embellish me, to constantly establish me. We'll cease eye-making and we'll start living. The most debilitating effect of stress is the, is the distraction that stress causes. A mind distracted will constantly seek sens- 
stimulation, feeding its own distracted state. This constant need for stimulation manifests in many ways. In modern times, you can look at social media as a great manifestation of the need for distraction. We live in a world, the text says you live in a world, that provides unlimited opportunity for distraction and compulsive and addictive behavior. In fact, we're conditioned to believe that if we're not grasping after constant stimulation, we're not really living our lives. We're not achieving anything. We're not doing anything. When the opposite is true, that when we have a calm and peaceful mind, now we are present for our life. We're not using um, the power of technology, which is pretty powerful, to keep distraction going. We become very effective as a worldly society, not just a Western society, at the, at the art of distraction. Most of what we do and most of the technologies we've developed um, have been used for distraction in one way or another. Meditation is typically listed as the eighth factor of the Eightfold Path. It is listed last to point out the importance that the other seven factors have in supporting a practice of meditation. In other words, and many people believe that, uh, that a Buddhist is just a meditator. Uh, in fact, there's an entire school of Buddhism called Zen Buddhism, which rose out of the Yoga Kara school. Yoga Kara literally means mind-only school. We're only dealing with our mind in that. The Buddha studied um, Zen-like practices during his time, recognizing that they were just a deeper distraction of what he was doing to himself prior to his practice, and he abandoned that type of mind-only um, or mystical or magic, magical uh, thinking and magical or mystical practices associated with that type of thinking. The jhana meditation method, the shamatha vipassana meditation method that the Buddha teaches is utterly practical and it's only for developing concentration. The reason why I'm emphasizing that is many people see meditation as um, an experience gathering event. In other words, something should be happening. I should be having some kind of uh, one mind experience or having intricate visualizations or meeting up with Buddhas and all these types of different things. Or we use visualization as a substitute for meditation. It's not. Without the framework of the Eightfold Path, meditation is not likely to achieve the cessation of unhappiness and stress. Without developing mindfulness of all of your thoughts, words, and deeds, your mind will remain too distracted for meditation to have any real and lasting effect. Let me just jump ahead a little bit. Ultimately, mindfulness is a non-reactive state of mind resting peacefully in the present moment. And there's nothing else there. In other words, there's, there's no qualification for that level of mindfulness. It's a direct result of jhana meditation and in integrating the entire Eightfold Path. As you progress, be mindful of recognizing thoughts and thought constructs that create stress, unhappiness, and confusion. Be mindful of thoughts or thought constructs that maintain or develop strong attachments to people, objects, or events, or ideas. As you progress, be mindful of thoughts or thought constructs that distract your mind to the past or to the future. Remember, mindfulness is a gentle awareness of what your mind is presenting moment by moment. Let go of the need to analyze or evaluate thoughts or thought constructs, including placing blame. 
I might say most importantly. And that doesn't mean placing blame on others. Much of what we're, much of the way we're taught to better ourselves is first find out what we're doing wrong. Usually then we're taught to beat ourselves up a little bit over that. And then somehow we're going to magically change. We'll transform ourselves by being focused on all the awful, terrible things that we do or all the ways that we're inadequate. It doesn't work. That's meant to be recognized as a fabrication. Of course it is. And, and, and to cease analyzing the why or the where or the what of that and simply recognize it as ongoing loathing rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Recognize it and abandon it. A negative thought is never a helpful thought, even though we, we seem to be enamored with that. Recognizing the results of negative thoughts is the purpose of this thought. Mindfulness is a dispassionate observation of thoughts and events. A point to be made here, John in meditation is not for finding escape from, from problems or generating magical or mystical experience. The purpose of John in meditation is to put aside all distractions caused by stress and have a direct experience of the present moment. Anything that would distract from the present moment will not support the practice of ending unhappiness. And I, and I, I say that, I wrote that, um, because I, I, even people that practice meditation will often apply other practices, um, such as visualizations or prayer or chanting, or other rites and rituals that all the Buddha says, recognize that you're doing that, it's a distraction, abandon that. Uh, it took me a little while when I came from uh, the modern Buddhist world, uh, Buddhism by common agreement, if you will, and to let go of all the rites and rituals that I had developed over the years. Um, but it was important to do so, because I only developed them out of a desire to fit in with whatever group I was associated with. And so for a long time I was part of a group that was deeply involved in chanting. In fact, most of their practice was chanting. And I spend uh, you know, many Sunday afternoons chanting my ass off. Uh, and, and always wondering what the hell I'm doing. For one of, one of the ways it was presented that, and it was almost always in, uh, in Pali, the chant, which I don't, you know, I know a little bit, but not enough. I couldn't chant out I didn't understand everything I was chanting, which seemed ridiculous, but I was also told, well, if the words themselves have a, have a vibration, and it's the vibration of the words that will transform you during your chant. And I thought, isn't that wonderful, until I finally realized that I was looking for a magic. I was looking for something almost unintentional to fix what I thought was broken or an inadequate self. And if I just keep chanting my ass off, somehow... It's going to bring me what I felt I needed until I realized how insane that thought is. How could it possibly happen? If that was the case, if it really was true that we could chant ourselves to a better human life, we would have been born, we would have come out of the womb chanting. We would have. It would be a natural thing that we would do. It wouldn't be a fabricated thing that we acquire hoping that we can better ourselves. And I'm not just talking about now chanting. All of the rites and rituals that I engaged in for many years ultimately were proven to me, by me, to be a distraction, even though they were incorporated. And so that leads me back to this whole point of where we are in week one, is to keep this practice very, very simple, because it is simple. It's utterly simple. It only feels complicated because our minds are complicated. There's nothing complicated about the Eightfold Path. Everyone understands what 
right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation are. The, 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 uh, the difficulty comes in applying those factors in our life as our life unfolds and knowing which one to apply. In other words, is, is this a right speech moment or a right action moment or a right effort moment? That's where concentration again comes in. So again, the purpose of this week is to establish jhana meditation as our method, as our foundation for everything else that we will do in this Dhamma practice. So I'm going to leave it there. We all, everyone here, except maybe Sheldon, and I'll mention, I'll, I'll talk about that in just a moment. Everyone else here except Sheldon, Sheldon's just joining us today for the first time, has been practicing jhana. You don't need any instruction on that. But Sheldon, I, I would ask you, um, I know you've been to the website. Have you listened to any of the recorded jhana meditations? Hey, John, uh, Scott Sheldon. Scott, uh, yeah. I haven't listened to any of the recorded things yet, no. Okay, yeah, just so you know, on the website, there's uh, five to 45-minute recorded guided jhana meditations, and that's that the verbiage that is in there is a verbiage that we use in our class, just so you understand that distinction. And I would also ask anybody who's who... Um, is going through the practice, the, the Truth of Happiness course with, course with us, and might be using different meditation methods, uh, please practice jhana while you're taking this course. And I'm not saying that to be exclusive or restrictive. The only way to know the efficacy of anything we do is to actually do that thing. And so again, for this 12 weeks, I would ask you to just practice jhana meditation and see if it's the right practice for you. If you find that you'd rather be doing something else, that's fine. There's no, uh, there's nothing, there's no right or wrong as far as what our so-called spiritual practice is, but there is a right or wrong as, a, as it applies to Dhamma practice. It's very well defined, uh, it's very narrow in its approach, and it's designed for one single purpose, to develop a calm and peaceful mind, no matter what's occurring in our life. So let's go around the room. I'd like to hear what you learned from your reading this week and any questions you might have. And uh, let's start with, with Scott. I just introduced Scott. Scott, w- welcome to our Sangha, and uh, uh, what, do, what do you have to say? Thank you so much. Uh, I'm looking forward to the course. I can tell you that my meditation went exactly this way. Is my posture good? Oh, wait, breath. Has it really been 15 minutes? Oh, wait, breath. <laughs> That's, uh, that is jhana meditation, though. It, it is recognizing when we're distracted by our thoughts or our feelings, even our thoughts about are we doing it right and coming back to the breath. And it is by that repetitive action that we deepen our concentration. Uh, and, and, and it's another reason why I think the Buddha taught such an utterly simple uh, meditation practice. It's just recognizing when we're caught up in our thoughts or our feelings and coming back to the breath. But it's both of those components. And the reason why I say that is we can get caught up into jhana meditation is just being mindful of the breath. I don't know anybody that, that ever did that. I don't believe Siddhartha did that. It is recognizing when I'm caught up in my thoughts to come back to the sensation of breathing. And every time I do that, recognize that I'm distracted and come back to my breathing, I'm deepening concentration. So you're doing it right, Scott. Brian, how are you? Good John, thanks. Um, yeah, I went back, I, I did this March of last year for the first time. And I think I wrote like six paragraphs and I just went back and reread my six paragraphs. And just fast forwarding 10 months, 
it, it's it's fascinating to to see the the development personally. Yeah, I, I think I was yeah over analyzing and just watching all, and now it's just oh, there's the mental stream, right? It's it's doing its its thing and stuff's popping out and it's going away and just watching the impermanence of all of it and really finding that that space in between where you, you get that silence and, and that, that, that joy that's right there and just, you know, watching that go away, right? It just ebbs and flows and it's been a great experience. So thank you for all this. Yeah, thank you, Brian. What Brian's describing is is key to recognizing and developing the Dhamma, is recognizing the effectiveness, the effectiveness of it that it's actually working, and that is what we do in Dhamma practice. It's, it's part of the teaching is to recognize what we're doing ourselves. Uh, we taught the Nagara Sutta this past Thursday. The Buddha talks about having the direct experience of self of rightly self awakening. We do this ourselves. You have, uh, you know, we. We do it ourselves based on what the Buddha actually taught and as presented by skillful teachers. And I know it sounds like I'm self-aggrandizing here, but it, it takes, it, it, you can only teach the Dhamma if you know the Dhamma. And we are so fortunate. I mean, you're, you're really fortunate you got me, but we also have five other teachers and three teachers in training. Uh, and that is, um, that's rather rare and unique in the world, just that, that structure. Because again, every... Um, I don't want to get too deep into this, but we're those of us, those of you that have listened to all of our teachers, have seen um, a unique presentation of the common dhamma, and each one of our teachers really expresses a dhamma in their own unique way. But we're all teaching the same thing, and it, it's been uh, fascinating to see how it's it's developed this the last couple of years. Uh, Becky, thank you, Brian. Becky, good morning. Um, I think this is maybe my fourth, third or fourth time through the Truth of Happiness and I'm really looking forward to going through it again. Um, I don't really have too much to say this morning. I just, I just want to thank Scott for telling us or for saying what he said because that's how my meditation always goes even after four times through the course <clears throat> eventually though i do get to that spot that brian talked about not every meditation but if i meditate during the time of day that i've learned is my best time to meditate i will get there mm -hmm. so I've learned a lot, and I'm looking forward to another time around. Thank you, John. Thank and you, Becky. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. Sangha Mom. Sangha Mom. Sangha Mom. Dr. Kevin. Retired Dr. Kevin. <laughs> I guess I still get to be a doctor, I don't know. Of course. So, um, morning, everyone. Um, this is great. I was just going to show my book first. This is, I think, my seventh time going through this. My book is falling apart. I need a new book. I did read it on a but I prefer adding a book. Um, but um, this really couldn't come at a better time for me. 
um, with my retirement and moving to a new place, you know, it's all very exciting. But it, to me, I, you know, I'm becoming extremely preoccupied with this move, and it just brings the possibility of more craving, new attachments, new desires and clinging, craving, and more stress. And I'm sure more disappointment. I'm thinking, oh, this will be so perfect. And when we get there, it'll be like, okay, well, this is, uh, you know, Duca still exists. Yeah. So I do need to frame my time with meditation, and as I have, as I learned. And um, in the meditation, you know, I think about in this Ajitatana Sutta too, um, there's one one little point in my meditation that if I can get there, I can have the presence of mind. You know, you talked about having, thinking about, this is a long breath, or this is a short breath, and the meditator can be aware of these breaths. And then he finishes that thought with, um, I shall breathe in calming the bodily function of breathing, and I shall breathe out calming the bodily function of breathing. And if I can, sometimes if that, that calming, when I, I'm able to bring to mind doing that, that's when that's what can really trigger the calm and the true shamatha and true vipassana. So I hope that that'll continue to happen. And thank you so much for the teaching in the book. Wow, thank you, Kevin. That, that's such an important point that you know that I'm not. It, it's the action of breathing in, being mindful of breathing in, that calms the body, and it's it's just a natural consequence of of doing right meditation or shana meditation. Thank you, Kevin. Dustin, good morning. Good morning, John. Um, I got some stuff highlighted in the first chapter of the book that I really, really freed me from what I thought was mindfulness. I really thought paying attention to negative thoughts and dissecting them and analyzing them was being mindful and once I let that go I can't tell you how much space I now have in my head that was the key for me and of course it was coming from that same thing that you talked about because I chased magic too I heard magical words I was supposed to say at a certain time over and over and none of it ever ever addressed the real mental stress that was holding me back or, or bothering me. And it was that wrong view of being broken, that something was wrong with me. Yep. And that was causing me to chase those thoughts. And so when I read that in the first chapter, I just let that go and decided to abandon that that analyzing of the thoughts. And I can't tell you how much that's changed my life. Me, mine too. It really is. It, 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 and that we do it to ourselves is... is uh, it's absurd and it's laughable, but it's also pretty devastating at times. So thank you, Dustin. Good morning, Nina. Morning. Um, I've been um, thinking a lot about um, how deep the programming is and how automatic responses are that are not only your own, but your parents' responses. Oh, yeah. Like, um, I have this thing where my dad and my dad always wanted me to prepare for the worst <laughs> and expect for the best, but that's really stressful. It is. 
So um, as things are happening in my life, I've been recognizing that more and more. Yeah, we, 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 as Dharma practitioners, we understand the worst, but we don't focus on yeah. it. And we, and we understand the best, right. too. We understand that they both can be distractions from what's occurring. Yeah, and then that just plays into me really understanding that I cause my own stress. Yeah, and that, that's such a, such a powerful thought, isn't it, Nina? You know, it, yeah. it's, it's the ultimate regaining control of our minds. It, I'm the one that's doing yeah. this. It's not... You know, it's not worldly conditions, it's not other people, it's not my dog or my cat or the president or who's not. You know, it's, it's me. It's the way I think about these things, which is having a human life, you know, being at peace and not taking anything personal. Thank you, Nina. Thank you. Um, Jen, Dharma teacher Jen. Hi, good morning, everybody. Yeah, I, I also wanted to show my book because it's falling, also falling apart. I'll give you a new um, one. Yeah, no, no, I want this one. I'm, I'm attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like Dr. Kevin, this is, I think, my seventh time as well. Uh, and it, I mean, this past week I had, uh, there was, you know, I was definitely tie, tied up in knots and stressed and trying to solve a problem from an ignorant viewpoint. Um, that was causing me a ton of stress. And I read the first chapter because it was time to read the first chapter. And um, I read this, para- this, this phrase that says, once your mind is settled and tranquil, free of the distraction of its own compulsive thoughts, insight into unhappiness and stress and its cause and cessation arises. Even as a Dhamma practitioner and even as a Dhamma teacher, my own conditioned thinking can lead me to trying to problem solve stress. Using the Dhamma, but still from an ignorant point of view. And what that phrase reminded me of is that what Dr. Kevin was talking about, calming the mind has to happen first before you can solve solve the problem. Likely the problem will dissolve once you calm the mind. But the mind has to be calm first. And so if the mind is not calm, there's nothing to do but John. And just be present with my less than peaceful mind state. And that is, so, again, also kind of related to what Dustin was saying. It's just so such a relief to not have to solve the problem of stress, but to develop concentration and stress will subside. Thank you. Yeah, well said. I think Matt touched on that earlier too, that the fourth foundation of mindfulness is being at peace with the present quality of mind, whatever is occurring. And the, the, obviously the, the opposite of that quality of mind is thinking that I have to solve this problem. You know, what I have to do with stress is understand it, not solve it or resolve it. It's just understand it. And that's a, that is a, um, it's a profound accomplishment 
but it's also the only way to live. Why wouldn't we want to understand what it means to be a human being, which is what the Buddha taught? Thank you, Jen. Um, Matt, are you is that, are you still with us? I don't think he is. No, he's not. Uh, Matteo. Hi, everybody. And so for me, it's like it's the third time that I do these classes. And what I can say, like, I've been meditating for, I don't know, more than 20 years, jumping from a lot of different meditation and uh, um, extreme meditation. And at the end, I never got the point. I wasn't very satisfied or happy. I know there was something uh, not quite right. I don't want to use the word wrong, not quite right. Mm. But then when I started general meditation, it's like, it's really changed. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's really changed. Like, you know, I can say, okay, I got the point because I think it's really focused on the quality of my mind that before was just like a mere exercise. You know, you're sitting there, I was sitting like for two hours, three hours sometimes, yeah. sometimes like naked under like a water fountain uh, to, to get like, a, to beat, beat up myself. It was like very extreme stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it became all, I became almost, almost like worried, scared about meditation because it wasn't pleasant at all. It was like, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this. And then when I found this, like the uh, beginning was like, oh, it's pretty simple, but then it works. The only thing I can say, it works. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, usually I never say thank you, how are you, I'm not this kind of brother, but today I really mean, so thank you very much for the Sangha, and thank you very much for John teaching. Thank you very much. And thank you, Matteo, for your, your participation and commitment to the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. Mary, good morning. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, this is a great example of the wonderful... Um, uh, of the Sangha when it comes together and everybody's helping each other, but also clearly articulating uh, where they're at uh, with the programs. So it's really wonderful. I've been uh, going through it, I think, as long as Jen and, and Dr. Kevin. Um, I'm, you know, so excited to be going through this again. It was life-changing um, when I first picked up the book and uh, met John, so it is very exciting to be here and be with all of you. Um, I really love what Jen said, of course, <laughs> always, uh, because she really described her understanding of her relationship to the world. So she came back, she really modeled that whole piece that you come back to your breath, it's about um, concentration and jhana meditation, it's not about solving the problems of the world. It's not about dealing with what you think is right in front of you that requires your full attention or analysis. It's about coming back to your breath. I also recall that going through one of the, um, one of the times we went through this, that it was someone in the Sangha who reminded us all that it isn't just about the breath, it's about the in-breath and the out-breath. And Jen kind of described that as well. It's the breathing in and then paying attention when you're breathing out because that's paying attention to the letting go. And I remember that day and it was really kind of a, you know, wow, this powerful thing that someone had said. We're so, we're so uh, prone to breathing in once we get the hang of this and and it's remembering the breathing out it elongates your concentration but it's also 
uh, you know, sort of the metaphor for the whole Four Noble Truths. Yeah. And um, so that's a perfect reminder, of, you know, for Scott, yes, breathing in, but breathing out and, and you're, you're doing it right. And welcome to the Sangha. Yeah. So thank you, John, so much for leading this program once again. Uh, thank you, Mary. That was such an important point you brought out. The, uh, that was Lorna that brought that up and she really understood that and, and explained it well. Uh, the the, the in-breath is the arising of all phenomena and the out-breath is the passing away of all phenomena. So it's both metaphor and the direct and practical experience of impermanence, which is the, the, the key understanding of the Dhamma. And we experience that, that key moment every time that we're mindful of our in-breath and our out-breath, both the arising and the passing away. And Mary, Mary is right to bring it up, and, and Lorna was making the point, that it's often easy for us to recognize the in-breath, but we also discount the out-breath, like it's not even noticed. But again, recognizing the in-breath, the arising of phenomena, and the out-breath, the passing away of all phenomena. The arising of a thought and the passing away of a thought. The arising of a feeling and the passing away of a feeling. The arising of my life and the passing away of my life. It's both metaphor and the practical experience of our own humanity. So thank you, Mary. Dhamma teacher Kevin. Are you still there? Yeah, there you are. Hey, John. Hey, everybody. Um, just want to like, appreciate or say thank you again to the Sangha. It's really wonderful to hear all of your discussions. Uh, I don't think I have anything to add, but I really appreciate the timing of this study and sort of the organization of it again. It's really helpful to, to sort of go through your own practice in this structure. So uh, I, have a, I have a book here. It's got some warrant marks on a couple coffee stains and meetup cover. I think it's been to Hawaii a few times, so bookmarks around too. I think it's in my other books. So. Oh, I forgot all about the bookmark. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Lauren, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much, John, for this teaching. My book is brand new, one hour <laughs> in my possession, so I'm really excited for it to get well-worn and <laughs> coffee stains like everybody else. And um, I didn't do my homework. I understand, oh. David, what you were talking about. I need to catch up on my email. But I love a good homework assignment, so I'm really looking forward to it. But um, yeah, this spoke to me in a lot of ways. I have um, pretty frequent uh, bouts of dukkha, you know, dissatisfaction. 3 a.m., I'll wake up and just have, you know, the worst (laughs) thoughts. And um, the idea of using jhana to really delve into that um, stress is kind of exciting actually and um i got pretty heavy into yoga in the last few years and so the idea of um, you know i'd go to kripalu and there would be people practicing alternate nostril breath and the stairwells like they're shooting up heroin or something you know it was like these rites and rituals really are just the same form of escapism you know from reality and um the idea that what makes people feel like they're failing at meditation by being distracted and having negative thoughts and feelings come up is exactly how they're actually succeeding in their meditation That's by right. allowing these thoughts and feelings to yeah. rise up. And I thought that was so interesting and actually such a release that you can just allow yourself to be firmly rooted in reality is let those thoughts and feelings come and go and that you're not failing, you're not you know, striving towards some um, imaginary goal you're actually in it and succeeding and that that is very comforting 
Yeah. Although I do find that I wish I could just stay in this room <laughs> for probably the rest of my life. <laughs> but I realize, you know, you got to experience that life. And yeah, what good is it if you can't take it out? Into yeah. it? Like it was Thomas Merton said that you can meditate all you want on top of the mountain, but it doesn't mean anything unless you take it into the marketplace. Yeah. You know, the, the proof is in the pudding. And you, well, Warren, you have such great insight so quickly into what, what this is all about. Uh, and, and stopping that, uh, that always grasping after something else and making more of myself than I am. Uh, and just being present with what's occurring. Great insight. Thank you. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, John. Good morning, everybody. Um, so this is my second time through through the course, and the first time I think uh, it was I couldn't quite get underneath it because I was still <coughs> dismantling my earlier impressions of Buddhism, which came from the modern Buddhism, you know, uh, world. And that, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that was a real process you had to go through to get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, supporting. it was you know it was thirty years in the building. It's, Taken a little, a couple of years yeah. anyway, so far to kind of you know undo undo that and yeah. this, the cult's personality that sort of permeated that. Um, but this time around, I started to take on some some depth and some you know a third dimension, uh, having been here in the sangha and practicing, and not just uh, contemplating Buddhism rather than or, or meditation, um, but actually practicing it and being around other people who are practicing it and see it as, as real and an actual thing that's possible, uh, you know, was, was brand new to me coming, coming here. So first thing I want to say is thank you to everybody and thank you to you, John, for giving these dimensions that I, um, I've been uh, missing for a long time. Um, there are two things I got from this just real quick. Uh, the first one is don't be lazy, yeah, <laughs> which right I've, I've, I've been lazy of late. Uh, and um, now that I've been doing this for with you guys for a couple of years. Um, the idea of making time during your day and during your week to do this, not just on, for me a Saturday morning, but um, each day, uh, has really become uh, much more vibrant and critical. And yeah. it's important. It's really, really um, opening up to me. Um, second thing was about how you know the first seven of the of the eightfold path support the eighth. They you know, kind of um, you know provide that. Uh, matrix for, for, for jhana meditation. And that's something I'm going to be sort of thinking about and, and practicing more going forward. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Again, great insight into it and, and with what you said and, and Lauren just said. Um, these other practices that we've done, you know, all the years that I was in different uh, Buddhist practice and practiced yoga for many years and um, None of those are bad or wrong or anything else. It's just that they're not Dhamma practice. And we tend to to, to lump everything that's so-called spiritual or new agey or religious into one thing and make it all one thing. And it's something that the Buddha recognized 2,600 years ago to not do it. And those other things, as far as Dhamma practice, such as chanting or bowing or visualizations, are simply, in relation to the Dhamma, simply distractions. So then the choice comes to, do I want to use something to continue to distract myself, even though it's, it was such a great dis description of people doing pranayams, you know, and getting excited about it and doing it out in the hallway or something. <laughs> because, but it can understand it because you, you feel like, yeah, this is, I'm getting something out of it. And so once you decide that you're getting something out of it, even though 
you're going to continue to do it no matter what it is. I thought I was getting something, getting to the bottom of a vodka bottle as quickly as I could. I thought there was a value in it, and there was. The value was it was getting blasted. That's what I wanted to do. It was my choice to live my life that way. Nobody else could say it was wrong. Even though people tried to, I wouldn't listen to it. <coughs> Contrast that to a different mind that I have today. And I wouldn't think of putting something into my body that would change the way that I think. I've taken, it's taken a long time to get to this level of craziness as opposed to that. And, and so, you know, so I want to preserve it mindfully, you know. And it is, it is a, that, it's an important distinction to make. We're Dharma practitioners because we want to be Dharma practitioners, so let's do it right. Laura, is that you? I don't have my goggles yeah. on. Good morning, Laura. <laughs> I should put them on so I can I see you. I know, it's all there, fogging um, Thank you so much. I love listening to everyone. Um, just like Lauren and Adam were saying, uh, it's very true. Like these other practices, I guess we might engage in them because they seem more glamorous or exciting in some ways or... Um, like that sense of achievement that we crave, like you yeah. were saying, John, I guess why that's, sometimes this seems so simple, and like you say here, like true insight simply means just recognizing impermanent thoughts and concepts as conditioned thinking, and with dispassionate mindfulness, you just gently put your thoughts aside, and gently return to the mindfulness of your own breath, so it's so simple, yeah. yet in a way this it's not intended to be like showy and glamorous and yeah it's not at the same time it's so um i don't know it's just so rejuvenating and refreshing when you do practice the simplicity of it as the jhana like jen was saying just calm the mind come back to your breath the arising and passing away and you really do have that you know you can cultivate that like purity and peace and that ritual is really they're really just distractions. Like you're saying, not that people who practice rituals are bad or evil or whatever. I mean, well, maybe some people are, but like black magic or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's so simple. Um, and it can be like unglamorous because sometimes you're craving for, I don't know, some like nirvana or epiphany to happen, but that's not really what it's about at yeah. all. Yeah. So... I'm so glad we're starting with this, like the new year with this. So thank you. We always do it again. Just great insight, Lauren, into what we're doing here. It's just, it's just this. It's a very simple and basic practice, with a very simple and basic result: being becoming a human being, becoming an awakened human being. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Dharma teacher David. Good morning, John. If I could just put my teacher hat on, please. Lauren and I were briefly speaking right before in the structure of this it's one class per week and not everyone is here every week so the opportunity to hear the teaching and more importantly write about what you read and what you experienced is important and last time I was the first time I ever did that I wrote out my thoughts and I sent it to John and John responded and I you know encourage everyone to do that because uh, and now we have many more teachers so if John wants to push it off to someone else but you know put your thoughts 
down on paper. And if you're not going to be here on a Tuesday, read that chapter and put your thoughts down on paper. And again, that's that energy of the Sangha that yeah. continues. So thank you, John. Yeah, thank you. That, you really did put your teacher's hat on there. Uh, that part about writing it out. And again, just a paragraph or two is so important. We use a different part of our brain when we're writing rather than just thinking or talking. Uh, and it really helps to... to um, it helped me a lot. It, I think it was through the, the restoration of the suttas that I really got to learn what the Dhamma was about at a very subtle level. So thank you, David. <clears throat> Hello, Ram. Dhamma teacher Ram. Hello, John. Um... My my problem with with uh, Jhana has always been its simplicity and its straightforwardness. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't wrap my head around it that it was that simple. <clears throat> that it, it it had to be it had to be more than that. And um, I can't <clears throat> I can't remember how many years I went around trying to have it be something more than just simply observing the breath and observing the thoughts and feelings arise and pass away. Um, and, <clears throat> and I can understand now how, why this was lost so, so quickly. Uh, oh yeah. Because it's just a human mind wants it to be, wants it to be more. Yeah. It can't be this simple. So, it is this simple. Yeah. This is this is the tool for for concentration, yeah. and <clears throat> it's supported by the rest of the eightfold path, and it supports the rest of the eightfold path. Yeah. Well said, my friend. Yeah, it's only a grasping after mind that wants. Got lost, bounced out of the room. It's only a grasping mind that wants meditation or anything else in life to be more than it is. And it comes back to this practice. If, if you want, if jhana meditation isn't enough for you to keep your interest, then the Dhamma practice isn't, isn't going to work for you. And, it's, and again, there's no right or wrong there. Uh, the Buddha recognized that as an important point. Uh, upon his awakening, he struggled with whether he could even teach this, if, there, if people would actually learn it. And he came to the understanding that even if it was just a few people, the line it's often uses, with just a speck of dust in their eyes, meaning they were very close to understanding, that then it'd be worthwhile teaching. Worthwhile teaching. And that's when he got up off his, uh, his cushion of, of grass and twigs and started teaching for those few people. And we are those few people. So, again, the Buddha didn't teach salvation. He didn't see himself as a savior. He didn't teach a salvific religion. Because, and that's... Because he would have if he thought that a human being was broken or flawed or inadequate. Then we do need salvation, don't we? Either from external conditions, getting the biggest house and the biggest car and the, you know, and the, the, the prettiest spouse. The most coconuts. And the, the hut with the most coconuts I often use. <laughs> or it's being, it's being comfortable with three or four coconuts rather than a million. You know, or whatever is present. And that's the difference. And it's also the difference, the definition of awakening. A fully mature human being would be fine with what they have. They wouldn't need to have more. That's it's just an obvious sign of maturity, isn't it? It's also the maturity that the Buddha teaches that establishes a common peaceful mind. This is who and what I am in this moment. 
And it's not that I don't want to be any different. I understand that I can't be any different in this moment. It doesn't mean that my life experience might change. I might learn even more about what it means to be a human being. But in this moment, this is what I am. And Matt, Matt, I think Matt left. Maybe it was Kevin that said, and if in this moment I find myself angry, in this moment I find myself angry. To get past that, the, 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 the proclivity towards anger, we first have to own it. Not deny it. We have to accept the fact, yeah, I'm angry. And then we can get to, I'm angry because I don't understand, which is always a cause of anger. You can blame it on other people, but if I'm angry about anything, if I'm angry because my car won't start this morning, it's because I don't understand that I needed to turn the lights off yesterday. It's always a lack of understanding that, that breeds anger and frustration. And it's also the lack of understanding that breeds grasping after bliss, those things that make us happy. It's the same thing. It's ignorance. Ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And so we've established a foundation this week uh, with the jhana meditation. And as we continue, do your best to, to join us in each class. We used to do this differently, by the way. We used to do um, the first week on a Tuesday, the first week on a Saturday. And then the next week we would do the second week on a Tuesday, the second week on a Saturday. But most of us in the Sangha come to both classes or at least review them. And uh, I, I think this is just a more effective way to do it. Um, but we'll see. So you can, you can all keep up. Uh, so please do your homework. Uh, I'll, I'll post these up as soon as I can. And I think after talking with Lauren, I'll start posting uh, to YouTube uh, again, at least, at least this series of, uh, of classes. Uh, any other questions or comments? Everybody's clear about what we're doing in this practice? Okay, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. Oh, David brought up the point of writing it down and, and sending, sending what you're writing to me. Please do so if you want, but really the idea is also to bring it to class for, the, for our discussion and share that with everybody. And you can see how effective that is. I mean, we, we really are each other's teachers in this way, all of us. All right, we'll finish with meta as we always do. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to their depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, 
the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Peace. See you all soon. Thank you, teachers, for our, uh, joining us today earlier in our teacher's class, and uh, I'll see you all soon. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, John. See you. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.